theyeshiva.net. What have we uh, learned in last year, Monday morning? We began the Maimer, Oz Yoshim Moshub Nesos Sashira Azais Lashem from the Balatanya Torah Ari Parshas Beshalach. We are up to close to the end of the second paragraph. If you didn't download your source sheets, please do that right now, unless you have a safer Torah Ari, top of page 124. So, in very, very brief terms, the Balatanya wanted to know what was the function, what was the purpose of Kriya Siamsov. Why was it necessary, especially when Taisvis writes in Erik and that the Jewish people didn't go through from one side to the other side, but rather it was a semicircle. The same side they went into was the same side they came out. And it was not part of their journey from Eretz Mitzrayim to Eretz Canaan. In other words, Kriyas Yamsuf was not a necessity, essentially. Rather, because Hashem wanted Kriyas Yamsuf, therefore He made sure to take them in a direction that would necessitate Kriyas Yamsuf. And even then, they weren't even going through the river, they only went through part of the river and they came out from the same side that they went in. This means that there's something in Kriyas Yamsuf itself that was essential to mold the Jewish people into a nation. And this is also clear from the fact that Chazal tell us that there's a mitzvah to mention Kriyas Yamsuf every day. In other words, the Torah says you have to mention Yitzhiz Mitzrayim every day. The Tosefta says that includes also Kriyas Yamsuf, which we do in our davening. We speak about Kriyas Yamsuf every day. Not only in Pesukah de Zimra, but also after Kriyashma, the whole bracha called Ezra's, Emez V'yatsev V'nachev V'kayim, which goes to Ezra's, has a whole section about Kriyas Yamsuf. And today, when you daven, if you did not daven yet, you will be able to focus on it. And that is, from after Kriyashma, you'll see, the whole section of Ezra's is dedicated primarily, or a significant part of it is dedicated to Kriyas Yamsuf. All the way down to Shire Chadasha Shibcha Geulim, till Gal Yisrael, that's all about Kriyas Yamsuf. People don't realize that Kriyas Yamsuf occupies a very significant space in our daily davening, and... In our consciousness, I guess the two are dependent on each other, or maybe the same. So there's a reason for this. And for this, the Balatanya began to explain the process of davening and the fire that consumes karbonas. I'm not going to get into the details. Everybody could review it themselves. And the shir is also on the yeshiva.net, so you could watch the replay. And then he discusses the Gemara in Chul, and the Gemara says that whatever is in the sea is in dry land, whatever is in dry land is in sea. The difference is what we call Almadis Kasya and Almadis Galya. Almadis Kasya, the concealed world, is the world of water. And Almadis Galya, the revealed world, is the world of dry land. And the difference, he said, everything that's here may be here. But in the Yam, in the sea, it's all concealed by the waterbed. And therefore, you do not see the individual creatures that exist in the water because they're all eclipsed and submerged under the waterbed and therefore we cannot see from an outsider's perspective from the person looking at the water we don't see what is going on inside that's number one number two another explanation he said is that the in the sea the creatures of the sea the fish marine life need to be submerged, visibly submerged in their source in order to be able to live. And if you extract the fish from the sea and you say, come, 
let's take a boat ride, let's take a boat ride and enjoy the view. We know what that means for the fish, it spells the antithesis of life. On dry land, both of these things are different. Number one, we immediately see individuality. There's no one waterbed that covers up all of us. Every creature and every existence is conspicuously distinct and individuated with its own unique shape and properties and chemistry and identity. And in fact, that is the M.O. of Yabosh of dry land. Together with that, number two, even though we are submerged in oxygen, but we're still visible, every creature is visible separate, and even though we are dependent on the earth for our survival and for our continuous existence, in one way or another, what the trees do for us in terms of converting sun into energy, which we desperately need in order to be able to live. Each one of us needs the soil in one way. Every single one, every single living organism needs the soil, needs soil, needs earth. But we're not submerged in the earth. We're distinct, we're separate. We walk on top of the earth. In fact, we can even you can even get into a, a skyscraper, go to the hundredth floor and be quite separated from the earth. And even in your home, there's the separation between you and the earth. And even when you're walking on the ground, you're wearing shoes or slippers or crocs to separate you from the earth. And man today can be in an airplane for many, many hours, man or woman, completely distant from the earth. Not submerged. It's not like the fish who needs to be submerged, invisible in the water. On the contrary, and this is really where the point is dramatically articulated, the Rebbe once said this in a minor when he was explaining this, and I mentioned it in last year. It's it, it what the Rebbe is saying here is very is 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 more acute when we realize the contrast. What spells death in one reality spells life in another reality. You take the fish and you say, "Come out of the water! You'll enjoy the water." That's death. You take the person or the animal. And you say, come, I'm going to put you in the earth so you could be really one with the source of life. And that means burial, which is after 120 years, after a person passes away. What spells life in this domain, in this reality, spells death in this reality, Khalila, and conversely. This is a metaphor. Kol ma sheyesh bayabosha yesh bayam. Kol ma sheyesh bayam yesh bayabosha. But... You can have everything to say, but in a completely different state of consciousness. Souls of Yam are called souls of Alma Deskasya. And what does it mean to live in that world? To live in that world means to live in a world of complete vacas, where the very eye is submerged in the mucker, in the source of oxygen and life, in the divine source of electricity the divine source of vitality and animation that vivifies and is the source of all of existence, my eye is completely submerged in it. And therefore when I look at Amadis I don't see any creature. All I see is Mayim Layam Echasim. Now you understand why the Navi says about the future when Mashiach comes, Yeshayahu Perik Yud Aleph, Isaiah 11, 
which we say Achrin Shal Pesach in the you remember? He speaks there about the animals getting along with each other. Undomesticated animals. The wolf will be able to dwell and live with the lamb. The child will be able to play with the snake. The bear, the leopard, he goes through various wild beasts who will all be at peace. They will not harm each other. They will not destroy each other. Why? Key. Why? Because the earth will be filled with divine awareness like water covers the sea. What's the connection? Now we understand the connection. Because when when there will be the Mayim, we're under the water. What does this mean symbolically? It means I don't see that you are opposite than me and therefore I need to defeat you in order to win. Alma de Eskasa, what we see is cosmic oneness, the organic innate unity of the entire creation. That's the Nisham of Alma de Eskasa. It lives in that oneness. The very definition of the I is that there's no I. That is the Metzias. That's what he speaks about, Bitlba Metzias. As I explained in the previous shir at length, that the Metzias of souls of Alma de Eskasa, what is their Metzias? What is their identity? Their identity is that they're one with the source, completely one. And because of that, there's complete unity. Because what we see is the divine energy that unifies all of creation. And therefore, if you take them out of that space, there's no life. That is for them the definition of life. The chayim comes from the dveikim, from the oneness, from the absolute oneness, absolute alignment with the source of life. Moshe Rabbeinu, that is who he is. How do we know this? His name. He had other names. The Gemara says in Meseches Saita and the Medrash says in Vayikra, Moshe had ten names. The Gemara mentions a few names, the Medrash mentions all of the names. Nobody knows these names. If you learn the Gemara and learn Medrash, you know some of the names. Toiv, nice names, good names. Toiv, pun intended. Toiv, Tuvia, Yekusiel. <laughs> Geshmaka names his mother gave him, his father gave him. Ten names, you could look it up. None of these names are known. We only know one name, the name that was given to him by the Egyptian princess, Batya, the daughter of Parai. That's the only name that stuck. It's the name that the Rebbeinu Shalom chose. That's the name in Torah for the greatest leader, Moshe Rabbeinu. I plucked him out of the water. And as we explain, the Balatanya says, and explains to us, enlightens us what this means, he was taken out of water. He was retrieved from water. But why does that become his name? Why does that become the most important thing to know about his life? Obviously, it was very important. That's what saved his life. But why does that become his name throughout his entire life? A name captures the essence of the person. Because it's not just he was physically retrieved from water. This represents his life. Moshe was essentially a creature from water. 
Even when he was in dry land, he was in water. When you looked at Moshe, he said, Minamayim Mishisiyu, he comes from water. <laughs> he is a soul that comes from water, not from dry land. He's a Mishama from Yam, not from Yabasha. If you remember, I think it was last year we learned in Torah Er Shmois that there were a few Nishamas from the first Shemitah. We come from the second Shemitah, those souls come from the first Shemitah. Torah Er Pasha Shmois, Misam Pella Adam. We learned that it's on the website, Geshmaka Maimir, about Toyo and Tikkun. So therefore, Moshe can't speak. He's kvat per kvat loshen. Because speaking by definition necessitates his galus, revelation, communication. Moshe's natural state is a state of complete silence. Hashem yilachim lachem v'atem tacharishim. And the reason for this we can understand. Because as the Balatanya puts it, Dibur and his galus nimna mimenu because he is v'nachnu ma bitl when the very eye is submerged in the source of life, Moshe says, I can't really communicate. Communication from Moshe Rabbeinu is antithetical to his very core, to his very essence. Because he's completely submerged in the source. Always receiving, always absorbing that. A complete state of attachment, and deeper than attachment, completely submerged in that source. So now to be able to speak, to communicate, you have to have a consolidated identity. This is who I am and this is what I want to communicate to you. Moshe Rabbeinu transcends that. Almadiz Galyanishamas are very different. Almadiz Galyanishamas live in a world where every soul is distinct and individuated and in a very revealed way. And you're not submerged in your source of life at least not visibly. In other words, for you to be authentic, you have to identify yourself as a being. Now who are we? Are we souls of Almadis Gasya? Are we souls of Almadis Galya? We all begin as souls of Almadis Gasya. For nine months, we live in water. We live in a yam. We live in the amniotic sack in the womb of our mothers. All of us. When we go into a mikveh, into the yam, essentially, symbolically, for a few minutes or seconds, we're going back to that fetal state, our state pre-birth. That's one of the reasons, we understand from this mimer, the pleasure that people have when they come to beds of water. There's something very delightful that's triggered in the human psyche when you come to the ocean. Or even when you come, to, when you look at a lake, or a pond, or a river, a well, there's something joyous, there's something special that's triggered in the ordinary human being when we come, come across this. When we come across beds of water, we go into the water, or we even just look at the water. It brings something up. Yes, it brings up Almadis Kasia. It brings up our memories of pre-birth. It brings up our origin, submerged in water. And on a spiritual level, it brings up our inner dvekas with infinity, with Ein Saif, where the I does not exist as a separate being. Not because the I doesn't exist, but because the I is completely one and aligned 
with the divine eye. A fish exists, and it exists in a beautiful way. Some of those fish are amazing, but it's completely submerged in the water. Moshe Rabbeinu existed. The Rambam says he was mifcham mine enushi. He reached the ultimate perfection a human being can reach. But the definition of his existence, the definition of his eye is what? Complete oneness. Complete vacus. Inside the water. And all water beds, beds of water, bring us back to that space consciously and even more subconsciously to our own Alma Discasia. On the other hand, we emerge from the womb. We're not called, not all, all of us are called Moshe. Some of us are called Moshe's. But not all of us are called Moshalach. Because we emerge from the womb. Moshe remained a creature of water throughout his life. But we emerge, we're born, and we're born into a world of dry land, the Abosha, Almadiz Galia. And in that world, my individuated self becomes significant, it becomes important. It's valid. And it's my, the way I process life. Life has to be channeled and processed in a way that I can feel my existence and I can experience my individuality vis a vis you. And that's why we spoke about the two streams in human consciousness, the need for attachment and the need for individuation, which you may call the need for you to be authentic to you. And both are very powerful features in the human brain. There is the need for attachment, connection, very deep connection, in which really I'm part of you, and you're part of me. But there's also the need for individuation. And who am I? Me, ani. And these two can be a tension with each other. Evolutionary psychologists will explain it from the perspective of evolution. To really understand the depth of it, it's this Maimer, another Maimarim of the Balatanya. It's the tension of Almadis Kasya and Almadis Galya, and the ultimate need for fusion. Right, Moshe Rabbeinu did not want to be unmuted. <laughs> Moshe Rabbeinu did not want to be unmuted. <laughs> Some of us don't want to be muted. Some of us don't want to be unmuted. Very good question. We want to be in Almadis Kasia, but Hashem put us in Almadis Galia. And that means to be authentic, that means to be authentic to myself, I have to acknowledge that I'm in Almadis Galia. Yes. Isn't the idea to fluctuate between Amadis, Kassi, yeah. and Amadis, Kassi, because ultimately the Atmos is found in both? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're going straight to the point. You're going straight to the point. You're saying that Atmos transcends both and therefore we ultimately have to fuse them. Yeah, yeah, we're going to get there. Well, the trick, the trick, the trick is the trick is very quickly from one place to another. Ah. Yeah, we learned in the Kutta Torah of Parsha Shmini the difference between Nuneyama, the fish of the sea, and the Sher Habar. That says when Mashiach comes, there's going to be a big meal for the Tzaddikim with the Levyasan and the Sher Habar. So the Levyasan, the Leviathan, represents the Neshamas of Almadis Kasya. 
and the Sher Habar represents the Neshamas of Almadiz Galia, where movement is much slower, and where the whole MO of Havaydus Hashem is different. He says the Metain Shup, right? That the, 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 some fish Metain Shup with one, uh, one swift motion. They can, uh, they can cover huge distances in the water. Yosef is blessed by his father, Yidgu means dogim, fish. So literally it says they should proliferate, they should increase amidst the earth. But v'yidgu is dogim. Rashi says, ayin horror shouldn't be shaylet. Fish always sleep with uh, open eyes. Ain't they don't close their eyes, obviously. V'yidgu l'arayv. But one of the taichin is v'yidgu l'arayv bekerev aretz. That in Eretz, which is Almadiz Galia, you should be able to have the connection of v'yidgu, which is Almadiz Gasya. That's the bracha of Yaakov to Yosef, who was living in Egypt, who raised Ephraim and Menashe in Egypt without the Zayda, and without the environment that they had back in Eretz Yisrael. Yosef was the prime minister of Egypt. in You should still be able to have v'yidgu, the dog, the dog, the consciousness of the fish. Yes, very powerful. And if you look at Reb Shalom, he gave us a background of an ocean, so we can all jump right into Almadiskasya. Right into Almadiskasya. Yeah. 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 Ein Barach Shama. Yeah. Come as a charein chapin in Almadiskasya. I was saying that Reb Shalom's background is the ocean. That's this morning's background. Because he doesn't just want me to preach. He wants, he wants it to be a visualization. We should actually see the real mikvah. And if you're in the mood, you could jump into it. Shalom, it's real, I hope. Yeah, we can come visit you. It's real, it's real. Please it's real. <laughs> <laughs> Gewaldic. Beautiful. Okay, there's something about water. There's no question. It triggers these, these, these inner, inner sentiments, inner emotions in a person. So now... We can now come to appreciate. We could now come to begin appreciating the power of Kriyas Yamsuf. Now we can understand what is Kriyas Yamsuf. Kriyas Yamsuf is not just the water split, the water broke, so that the Jews could walk through and the Egyptians ultimately drown. Of course, that was Kriyas Yamsuf. But Kriyas Yamsuf represented something, and it represents something, and that's why we mention Kriyas Yamsuf every day. What is Kriyas Yamsuf? It's the opening of Almadiz Kasya. It's the fact that the water splits and everything that was under the water is now revealed, is now displayed. And you could walk through that space like you walk through dry land. What does this mean in a person's life? Imagine that all my Pnimeus, everything that's inside, that's buried deep within, it's covered by water is opened up, and I can actually walk through it. I can walk through it with the same comfort and ease with which I walk through dry land. Usually, that world 
is, you know, no trespass, the big sign, no trespassing. Nobody is going through that world. It's blocked. We can't live underwater. We could go there for some periods of time. I mean, the submarines have allowed people to be there for significant amounts of time, but it's not our natural habitat, obviously. Spiritually as well. There's a part, you could call it the unconscious, the superconscious, the subconscious, that which is beneath the water, which we don't have access to. Kriyas Yamsuf means, I can go in there, I don't have to be afraid. God says the water will split and you could walk in there. On a deeper level, what is this? This is what the Maimur says. It's really the fusion of Almadis Kasi and Almadis Galia. It's the ability to be able to go in to my Almadis Kasia. Even though I'm a dry land creature, I don't have a connection there. Kriya Syamsuf was that moment of clarity when everyone got to be able to walk through their own Yamsuf as though it was dry land, which meant in a very practical way that you became, you become in touch with your deepest, deepest source of life, with your deepest, deepest connection and attachment and alignment and oneness with the Ein Saif. But you do this walking into dry land. They didn't just jump into the water and jump right out of it. That became Yabasha for those few moments or those few minutes, as long as the miracle occurred, or those few hours, the Yamsuf became Yabasha. In other words, that which is usually the state of Almadis Gasi, it became their Almadis Galia. That became their consciousness. That became something that is their reality. Why do we mention this every day? Why was this so important to experience after Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim? Because essentially this is the Avaidah that every single person wants to be able to discover within themselves on a daily basis. Because we each have this tension, we each have this duality. And we have it in our very in our day-to-day lives in our own relationships. And the best example for this would be marriage, but really almost every relationship, where there's two various things going on simultaneously. On one level, I'm looking for attachment. We need attachment. Loi toiv, what's the first time? What is the first thing the Torah says is not good? You remember? The first thing, loi toiv, heyois ha'adam levada. Not good for man to be alone. You can't be alone. Loneliness is, is, is a tragedy. People need to feel that they matter to somebody else. You care for me. I'm one with you and you're one with me. We're connected. You know, today in addiction, in addiction research we know, listen to this, that the antithesis, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. You know that. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. Connection. And that's why your grandmother, when she broke her hip, went to the hospital for three weeks and they gave her large dosages of morphine. And they gave her a lot, a lot of drugs, which essentially were like heroin. And she didn't come out addicted. She should have been addicted. (laughs) Your grandmother, who was 84 years old, should have come home a complete heroin addict. It never happened. You know why? Because she has around 70 grandchildren jumping on her bed. 
She never feels disconnected. What causes addiction is not that I use it again and again. Of course, that's the practical element of it. But the real cause of it is I'm not connected. I'm alone in the world. I'm lonely. And that creates a lot of pain. And you want to see how meticulous this is. Anybody knows what's the second loytoiv in Chumash? The second loytoiv in Chumash? The same exact words are used by Yisroi to Moshe Rabbeinu in Parshas Yisroi when he says, Loytoiv hadover ashat oisa, madua atoyoshev levadecha. Moshe, you're alone. It's not good. Novel Tibul, you're going to wither away. Now the light type of Beresh is the light type of Yisrael, different light types. But Yisrael was saying, you're in Almadiskasya, they're in Almadiskalia. We have to find an intermediary here. So back to our, back to our point. So connection is essential. Attachment. Today in psychology, there's something very well known as attachment disorder. Attachment disorder means <coughs> there was a disorder in my attachment. I did not feel attached as a child. I did not feel that safety, that security. I didn't feel like my home or my mother or my father or my environment or my school or my community was a nest in which I can really feel safe and secure, in which I can be seen and soothed. There's a therapist who used the four S's, right? Safe, secure, seen, and soothed. The four S's. I have to be able to be seen. I have to be able to be soothed. I have to be able to feel safety. And I have to be able to feel security. In a word, I have to be able to feel attached. I have to feel that my eye is part of something larger, something greater. I'm not just an isolated, individuated creature trying to function and live on my own. I matter to you, you matter to me. On the other hand, if your spouse tells you, listen, from today, you are part of me, but there's nothing else. (laughs) We revolt. No, I need to be me. (laughs) Half, half Half of the marriage therapists will tell you that a significant amount of their therapy work is this. I want to be me, I I want to have my own life, I have an identity, I have talents, I have resources, I have a future, I have my dreams. So many divorces happen, why? Because I didn't feel that, you know, my dreams could be implemented with you in my life. On the contrary, you're a very nice person, but it was not for my dreams. This is, I want to be me. I want to be true to me. I'm an individual. I have my personality. I don't want to be swallowed up by you. I don't want to be submerged in you. I don't want to be in the sea. I want to be noticeable. I want to make my mark. (laughs) Very opposite need. So some people will say this is true. Some people will say that's true. They're both true. They're both true. I need to be you. And I need to be me. (laughs) I need to be part of you. I'm 
attachment begins with Tati and Mami. It continues in marriage because there's no attachment like the attachment to marriage. Just like there's no attachment like the attachment to Tati and Mami. And what happens if there was an attachment disorder with Tati and Mami? There's going to be an attachment disorder with your husband or your wife. And a lot of your inner work is going to happen over there. That's why we love blaming our mothers and our fathers, don't we? And they could blame their fathers and mothers and they could go back to Adam and Chava and who are they going to blame? They'll blame the snake. It's all the snake's fault. Trauma, 5,801 years, intergenerational trauma from the Nachash HaKadmaini. But Nachash is Begematria Mashiach. <laughs> why? Because there comes a point where you have to be able to release all the trauma and create healing. So the attachment of Aviv and Imoy is Vidavag you become one flesh. You become completely one with the other person. That's how the Torah describes the human condition. This is how reality works. So you say, I don't need Vekas. I just need to be myself. No, I may be in pain, and I may be lonely, and I may be angry, and I may have been hurt, and I may be disappointed, so therefore I run away into myself. It's like that child, three years old, who doesn't get what he wants, and he runs upstairs to cry, and he says, leave me alone, I don't want to see you, but really he wants your connection more than anything else. And if you leave the house and you say, okay, we'll give you up for adoption, it's the most destructive thing you can do for this child. He's screaming, I want to be alone. But really, I want to be alone because I'm feeling hurt by this connection. I'm feeling not safe. I'm feeling not secure. Can you prove to me that you're here for me? This is the real need. This is the real yearning, the real search. And as a result of that, Dvekas is the real yearning of a person. I need to feel that I matter to you. And in a marriage, this is so, so important. The person has to know that you matter to me. I'm here for you. I'm thinking about you. There's space for you in my life, real space for you in my life. And then, I want to be me. So you see, this is a manifestation in a very practical way of these two, te- these two modes, Amadiskas, Amadiskalia. And the two can't live without each other. The two are dependent on each other. Why are they dependent on each other? Because if a person is not really connected, they can't be themselves. And if you don't allow me to be me, I can't really be connected. Listen to what I'm telling you. If I'm not connected, I can't be me. Because I'm wounded. There's like a bottomless pit. There's an inner, an inner void an inner hole that I can't fill, an inner void that I can't fill, I have to numb. I have to feel the achdos. And if not, I can't really be myself. There's too much anxiety there. On the other hand, on the other hand, if I'm not allowed to be me, I also can't be connected because I feel that the connection is abusive and overwhelming, and will destroy me. So, so you, you're typhus here. So if I'm attached, I could, be, I could be individual, I could be individuated. And in order to be able 
to be individuated, I have to be attached. But in order to be able to be attached, I also have to have that sense of individuation. Because if not, people say, one second, people say, you're choking me, you're swallowing me up, you're not letting me breathe. And the two, therefore, are dependent on each other. And when, they, when we learn how to process it in our own lives, and of course we have to have the cooperation of the other, what happens is they, they actually begin helping out each other. They intensify each other. Because they're really connected to each other. They're dependent on each other. And we had the other day a marriage seminar with couples uh, last Sunday, a full-day seminar. So I spoke, and Rabbi Moshe Zev Lam spoke. And he said a very beautiful point. He said that nowhere like in a marriage will your authenticity be challenged and your attachment will be challenged. In other words, marriage is an institution where these two worlds, Almadis Gassi and Almadis Galia, will be the most tested. In other words, there's also the opportunity for them to be the most crystallized and articulated in that relationship because it's such an intense and powerful relationship. The attachment is very, very deep, even though you're attached to your siblings and you're attached to your friends, but it's a different type of attachment. Here the attachment is constant and perpetual. You're living together. So the attachment really has to be worked out and the authenticity really has to be worked out. And, and both will be tested in a very powerful way. And this is what, on one level, this is the beginning of understanding, at least on one level, the concept of Kriyas Yamsuf. Kriyas Yamsuf is, can I really be able to look in and reveal my inner, inner space, my Yamsuf, my Almadiz Kasya? What's my Almadiz Kasya? Almadiz Kasya is the place where my eye wants to cease to exist separately and become submerged in the Ein Saif, in the other. In the Maimer, the other is infinity, which is me also, because I'm also part of Ein Saif. But it's reflected in our relationships with other people, like we say that the marshal of a man and a woman, marriage is a marshal for Hashem and the Jewish people. It's all the same concept. Because every relationship on, on, on our, in our world is a microcosm of the ultimate relationship. That's what the Baal Shem Tev taught, that every relationship that we have here is really a way of God seeking a relationship with us. That's what the Baal Shem Tov says. All relationships here are a way of mending our relationship with Hashem. It's, it's an extraordinary teaching of the Baal Shem Tov. And that's why each of our relationships is just a reflection of this concept. Yeah. You, you said, you, you, the question of Daniel is asking, as I understand, when you say that if you're, not, if you're not feeling true to yourself, it's very hard to be connected because... I feel that that connection chokes me and, and obliterates me and nullifies me and I run away from it. On the other, it's like it's too, it's too it's too overwhelming. It's too inauthentic. I'm being inauthentic. And and on the but what does it what, what, does it work also the other way? Of course, it works also the other way because what often happens is if attachment is part of my identity and I don't have it, so then my identity is so wounded and scarred that I can't really live up to my dreams, to my potentials. I can't be me. Or to put it differently, most most of my time and mental space will be dedicated to numb the pain due to the attachment disorder. 
much of my mental space will be designated to try to fill the void and distract me from the fact that I feel disconnected. To give a practical example for this, Somebody told me once that they work very hard in their business. Very, very hard. And they put in so much work day and night and over hours. <coughs> very talented fellow, very, really talented fellow, intelligent, smart, educated person. And we were having once a very open conversation. He was a friend of mine. And I asked him, why do you work so hard? You work so hard. Is this your passion? And the words I heard were so powerful. And I'm saying them almost verbatim. Not verbatim, but almost verbatim. He said, I grew up and nobody ever appreciated who I was. I felt like a nebach. I felt insignificant and valueless and really dispensable. I'm just not needed. And he says, all my work in that office and that company is, I decided I am going to force them to believe that I'm needed. I am going to show them and to prove them that I am needed in this world. They're going to see how much they're dependent on me. Now, you hear what he's saying? All of his work has nothing to do with himself. None of it. It has nothing to do with dreams, goals, passions, talents, resources. It's basically trying to numb the pain and fill the void of an attachment disorder. I never felt valued. Nobody ever saw me. Nobody ever, I was never attached to anything and anybody. And therefore, I am going to force this attachment. I am going to force my validation. I'm going to force myself to be validated. And that's why the two are so deeply and constantly and intricately interconnected. What we have in this mimer is the powerful idea, this is not just an evolutionary random mutation. <laughs> you got to be connected because we hunt in packs. As foragers, we had to hunt in packs so we could survive. So we had to work together. And on the other hand, for the hunting to be successful, there had to be on hierarchies. Everybody had to also be in their position. So that's a very depressing, you know... Uh, depiction of mankind to the point that it's just, you know, we're all busy responding to the various mutations because we wanted to survive. What this Mimer is teaching us is that Almadiskas and Almadisgalia are two inherent components of existence. Okay, so now, this was supposed to be my summation. Yeah. Between um, individuation and um, connection. Yeah. And uh, this is an Ahmad Isgalia. It's not. I don't really hear like the, the the whole connection with Hashem is like a separate thing. 
No, I'm, I'm explaining how these, these two modes of reality that the Balatanya is introducing to us is manifested on every level of the human condition where each of us has these two needs. Where does it come from? It comes from the source, like everything. That in the human soul, there's two aspects. Alma de Escasia is the fact that there's a state of consciousness where my eye is completely submerged and is one with the source and doesn't want to be visible. It wants to melt away in the all-pervasive oneness of my Creator. And Amadeus Galia is where God, so to speak, sends my soul out of the water into dry land where it becomes individuated. Moshe Rabbeinu remains Amadeus Galia. That's why naturally he doesn't want to speak. Hashem has to really push him and say, no, 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 I'll help you speak. Because by nature, by the, by the innate condition of Moshe Rabbeinu, he is subsumed in the infinite light. And therefore, there's no communication, there's no hisgalus, which is basically a compromise of the energy. It's diluting the energy to the point where I'm, start, I'm, I'm communicating it to you. Moshe Rabbeinu is in a state of, of his very mitzias is bittel. So therefore, naturally, he's kvat peh. So you're asking, a husband and a wife are having a huge debate about renovating the kitchen. And he has his perspective, she has her perspective. How can this mimer help such a couple make more peace? So now we want a therapy session? Is that what we want right now? We got to bring in the wife here and discuss the kitchen. We have to hear what she says about the kitchen. She says, if I'm mistaken, not mistaken, she just wants a new house. She says, forget the kitchen. Let's just buy a $2 million new house uh, in Miami, maybe, right? And, uh, and we'll be good. I'm just joking. I think, I think that, uh, I'm not joking, maybe she does want that, but I don't know who the wife is. So I think... Mama feels like the Iker because Shlemus and Kedusha... It's going to bring Mashiach, so I feel like... Of course, of course, of course. It's very important. When there's peace at home, there's, when there's peace at home, there could be peace in the world. Yeah. The Lubavitcher Rebbe once said, of Abrengen, Acheron, Shal Pesach, Tavshin Chafal of 1961, I think. The says, I mentioned when Mashiach comes, the wolf will lie with the lamb. They're going to be at peace. The Rebbe said, you know why they're going to be at peace? You know why the wolf and the lamb will be at peace? Because the wolf and the lamb inside of me is going to be at peace. At peace, the nefesh kiss and the nefesh Bahamas. There's going to be peace between the animals inside of me and between the godly soul and the animal soul, between the domesticated soul and the undomesticated soul. Because there's going to be peace inside each and every one of us. So by osmosis, what happens inside of us? The world exists inside of us, affects the universe, and it affects the planet. And therefore, the peace internally is going to be manifested in peace externally, not only among humans, but even in the animal kingdom, among all of the mammals. So when we create peaceful marriages at home, and when we create peace between ourselves, it's not just you're giving yourself a better life, that's true but you're also exuding a light into the world that other people benefit from. It creates more peacefulness in the world, besides in your home, besides in your family, besides in your community. It's extremely important. This is a time 
I think this is part of the quarantine divine message. Time to work on your marriage. Now sometimes one of the parties is not interested in any of this. They don't want to cooperate. Maybe they're too hurt. Maybe they're too angry. Maybe they're too lonely. Maybe they've felt too, uh, you know, nobody listened to them. Whatever the situation is, but we have to try to do whatever we can to the point of, of very deep commitment in order to be able to restore, to restore our relationships. I want to tell you, it was a very gratifying moment for me. Many, many years ago, this is maybe, I don't know, 20 years ago, a little less, there was a couple that came to me. They had terrible, terrible marital strife. Every day there was a new explosion in the house. And their kids were suffering. They were little kids. They wanted to get divorced constantly, again and again and again. It was every, okay, today we're getting divorced. Tomorrow we're getting divorced. Both wonderful people. I really liked them. Very special people. But there was something inside there that was very, very uh, decadent. It was just not working. And the families were not helpful either. You know, sometimes the families are helpful, sometimes they're not helpful. And I tried to work with them, and I, and, I, and I tried to help them. And then, you know, I moved on in my life, they moved on in my life, and I didn't really have contact with them. And just a week or two ago, I got a message from the husband about something else. He asked me a question, and I said, hey, whatever happened, whatever happened uh, to you? You know, your marriage, your children. And he sent me pictures of his children. He has had more children since, and they're growing ups already. And uh, he has a good marriage and a very happy life and a very fulfilled life and a successful life, Baruch Hashem. I mean, everyone has challenges, but thank God he's, he's, he's doing well in many ways and has a beautiful family. And he thanked me. He thanked me for the effort I put in then. And then he told me something. He said that you told me then, he told me that you told me then that for a marriage, it's worth fighting for to the point of Messiris Nefesh. And I followed through because so many instincts in me were running away from it, but I followed through and it was the best thing I did in my life. Now here we have to qualify. Messiris Nefesh doesn't mean you have to fight for a marriage if you're being horribly abused. If a woman is being beaten or kids are being beaten, or people's lives are in danger, then you have to leave a marriage, or at least you have to consider it very significantly. What Messiris Nefesh I meant was your own Messiris Nefesh. Sometimes my pain, my trauma, my ego, my insecurity tells me, no, 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 just run away, run away, run away. Messiris Nefesh means you really have to be able to challenge every fiber in your being, and it's worth it. It's worth it. Because it's not only that you'll stay married, it's that you will find who you really are. You will become the best person you're capable of becoming. To put it in the words of this mime, I'm going to go back. It's very easy to escape to Almadiz Galia and make believe you're not connected. But that's not the truth. If you'll do Kriyas Yamsuf, you'll see what's happening in your Almadiz Kasia. You'll see that your eye is so connected and needs that connection, and needs that vacus. 
The same is true with God. It's very easy to run away and make believe I don't care, I'm apathetic, I'm indifferent, I'm not the religious type, I'm not the spiritual type. I'm just a baltaiva, I'm just a glutton, I want to make money and I want to have a private yacht and a private plane and a big home and smoke Cuban cigars and go out with friends and eat good food and drink delicious wines and play poker. As somebody told me the other day about his agendas in life. But if you'll have a little kriyasyamsaf, if you'll open up yourself to your truth, and sometimes it happens through pain. Sometimes when a person experiences pain in their life, they get opened, their hearts get opened, and suddenly they see what matters. They see that these attachments that they dismissed as irrelevant are really very, very meaningful. So Kriyas Yamsef is so important to be able to have the courage to walk through the subterranean corridors of my soul. I want to learn a few lines here before we finish. I want to learn a few lines here. It's uh, the top of 124, right? And we almost finished the paragraph. The line starts, And now we're going to understand the blessing. We say in Tehillim, I think Kapitel Memalaf. From the world to the world. What does this mean? Ah, from Almadis Kasia to Almadis Galia. You hear? There's Baruch Hashem Elokeisom Min Ha'Olam Va'Ada Olam. What's Min Ha'Olam Va'Ada Olam? Baruch means to reveal, to access. You remember, Hamavrich is to bend. Hamavrich is a gift to bend the vine. Baruch is to access, to reveal. What's Baruch Hashem Elokeisom Min Ha'Olam Va'Ada Olam? That Ein Soif shouldn't only remain in Almadis Skasia. But sheyibchinis almadis kas yibchinis seiv of kalam and shubchinis bittel the kolakamekalei chashiv nimshach begilui gam ba almadis galia vero kol basar that the state of almadis kasia which is also known in chesidus as seiv of kalam seiv of kalam means that state in which the infinite divine energy is present and all of reality is not perceived as separate but completely submerged in oneness. This is called bittel. It's also everything in his presence. doesn't have a separate significance because it's all part of oneness. This is a state of 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 The Alter Rebbe here gave different names to this state of consciousness. Soiv of Kalalman, Bittel, Kula Kamekaloi Chashev. Why is that so significant? So, this is my request to all the students. These terms we come across constantly Soiv of Kalalman, Bittel, Kula Kamekaloi Chashev, Almadiskasya. But here he's putting them together because he wants you should understand what these terms mean. These terms is basically the consciousness of Moshe Rabbeinu 24 hours a day. We're the I is seen as an aspect of infinity, which means there's no I, because my I is just a channel for infinity. The only I that it exists is the Einoid Mulvadoi, that Kula Kamekeloi Chashef. That's Almadiskasya. But that's a world of oneness. What's a bracha? Baracha Tomina Oilam Vada Oilam. That this reality should come out, 
should be manifested in Almadiz Galia, Begoli, Viro Kolbasa. It's a quote from Yeshaya, the same chapter, chapter 11, Venigla Kvoid Hashem, Viro Kolbasa, Yachtov Kefi Hashem Dibber. The glory of God will be revealed, the times of Mashiach, and all the flesh will see, Viro Kolbasa, that the mouth of Hashem speaks. What does this mean? Viro Kolbasa. The term is Basar. Basar is not dogim. Fish is not meat. Fish is not fleshics. Basar are mammals that live on earth. They don't live in the water. Viro called Basar. The flesh of Almadiz Galia, those who live on earth, the mammals that live on dry land, will row, will be able to see Kvayd Hashem. In other words, Kriyas Yamsov. In other words, Venigla Kvayd Hashem. That the Ein Saif, Saif of Kalalman, should be revealed and manifested in the world of individuation of Almadiz Galia. In other words, the fusion of the two realities. That even as I experience myself, as me, and L'cha'ira as a separate being, my own identity, my own existence, I should appreciate the truth that what? That's also part of Saiv of Kalalman. That's also part of Kula Kamei In other words, in Almadiskasi itself, there's no I. The idea of a brach is, Baruch Atah, that you should become Atah, Mina Oilam Vada Oilam, that Almadiskasiya, should become a reality in Almadiz Galia. Even when I walk in dry land, I should be walking amidst the sea. You know the beautiful voice of the Rebbe Reb Melech, Noyem Ali Melech. You know that vote? Yeah, I know that one. Ah, Moiradik. Reb Shalom, you know the vote of the Noyem Ali Melech? I'll tell it to you, but this 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 word you'll hear and you'll remember it. He says as follows. It says in Kriyas Yamsev. It says when 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 the story is told, the Torah says Vayavoyu bnei Yisrael b'soy chayam bayabasha. The Jewish people came into the Yam, but they came into dry land because they went into the sea, but the sea became dry. At the end of the story. At the end of the Shira, when the Jews sing the song, they finish off, you remember? Hashem yimlech la'olam va'ed, kivasus paray berichba v'farashav bayam, v'yashav Hashem aleim esmei hayam, uvnei Yisrael holchu, bayabosha b'tay chayam. The Jewish people went in dry land in the sea. Asks the Elikinoyim Elimelech, why? In the story of Kriyas Yamsov, it says they went in Vayavoyu Bnei Yisrael B'toy Chayam Bayabasha. At the end, it says Bnei Yisrael Olcho Bayabasha B'toy Chayam. In the beginning, it says they went into the sea and it's through dry land. At the end, it's they went into dry land in the sea. Good question, no? The Shalom, that's good, Shaila. So the Noyem Elimelech brings, if I'm not mistaken, maybe a piece of his son. Maybe not from the Rebbe of Melech himself, could be from his son of Eliezer. I have to look it up. And he says the tachlis of Kriyas Yamsuf was, the purpose of Kriyas Yamsuf was, that when you walk on dry land, you should also experience the consciousness of Kriyas Yamsuf. The point of Kriyas Yamsuf was to show that even when you're walking on dry land, it's the same miracle. 
like we say Shabbos, the fact that this earth that was spread over the water is also a miracle. So the first time is they went into the Yam and it became dry land. The purpose was that even when you're walking on Yabosha, it should be Yam. That's the Tachlis. The end of the Shira is, you know what the Jews learned from Kriyas Yamsuf? That even when you're walking on Yabasha, it's Betoichayam. The same Ness, the same enthusiasm, the same miracle. When you're walking by Yabasha, it's not Betoichayam. My brother, Reb Simon, told me he had a Yid who came to learn by him. His name was Peter. His name is Peter. Some of you know him, Pesach Mordechai Himmelman, very special Jew, great musician, a great singer, and he came from a very, very secular background. And he was entrenched in secular culture. So he came to learn with my brother. And uh, so he wanted to trigger him, you know? So (laughs) at the end of the class, he turns to my brother and he said, So there was a picture of the Rebbe on the wall in his home, in my brother's home. So he says, ah, who's that? So he says, it's my teacher, the Lubavitcher Rebbe. This is probably 81, 82, 83 maybe. So he says, ah, you're you're a chassid, you're from the chassidim. He says, I'm a chassid. So he says, so you probably believe that he can fly, right? You probably believe that this rabbi can fly. He was being cynical. So my brother looked at him and said, I don't know if he can fly. I don't know. But I'll tell you what I do know. That when he walks on the ground, he experiences it as a miracle, just as if he would be flying. For him just to take a stroll on God's earth is perceived as miraculous as flying. I heard this years later from Peter and he told me that that impacted him so profoundly. That's Pshat. They jumped into the Yam. Wow. The Tachlis was the Tachlis was that afterwards, when you walk in Yabosha, it should also be B'taychayam. Even when you're walking on dry land, you wake up in the morning and you take two steps on the ground. And you say, Matir Asurim, Zoykev Kfufim, Roik Aretz Alamayim, Hamechen Mitzadei Gover. It's the miracle of Kriyas Yamsaf. In other words, in my daily consciousness, in my Almadis Galia, in my perceived individuation, I should be able to always align myself with the truth of Kula Kamei Keloi Chashev. That's Baruch Atah Hashem Alekei Yisrael. Mina Oilam Ve'ad Ha'oilam Almadis Galia. 
Okay, Chevra. Tomorrow morning we'll have a shear. Bezer Hashem, seven thirty. Tomorrow morning, Friday morning. So I'll see you back then, and we'll continue the Maimer. The meantime, I'm going to wish everybody a wonderful day. Let's see what's happening in the questions department. The Bezriel Tafasta, Tafasta, Takolkach Shaket, Kulamedabrim Chutzmemcha, Gam Reb Meir Mard Shaket. Okay, let's see the matzav here with the questions. A lot of nice comments. Aren't we supposed to strive towards bittel, not diversity? Why then do you say that Almadiz Galyu should stay in diversity? In other words, are we supposed to make peace with our diversity and self-centered needs or strive towards a place of unity? Gewaldike question. And the answer is... The answer is, it's not making room for our self-centered needs. It's striving towards a place of unity and realizing that our diversity is also part of our unity. That's what you have to understand. And then your diversity is not self-centered. Right? You can look at diversity and say we're self-centered. I'm not an individual. I'm just part of a whole and there's no me. In other words, I can deny Almadis Galia, but the real Kavana is, that's what he's saying here, to be Mamshech Almadis Kasi in Almadis Galia. If you learn, if you'll continue learning with us, maybe you have been learning with us for a while, you'll see these concepts will become clearer. The individual fish are invisible to us and not differentiated, but to each of the fish, they see the other individual differentiated fish and other creatures of the sea. In fact, they spot their prey and eat each other. Dido for angels and other creatures of all hidden worlds. Right, the marshal of the yam is from our perspective. You speak about the unity of Alma Descasia, but there are fish that eat each other. That's true. Again, the marshal of the yam is not a perfect marshal from Mullah, but it's a metaphor in the sense that from our perspective we see the oneness. In the physical world, until Mashiach comes, we don't have that physical metaphor of an oasis where there is complete oneness. As far as we know, fish don't make sounds and they don't speak either. Maybe that's why Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't speak, because he was like a fish. Very interesting. Fish didn't sin. They weren't destroyed in the Mabel. Other animals did sin and they were destroyed. That's maybe why we eat fish on Shabbos. Shabbos is Alma Descasia, so that's why Shabbos you eat fish. They now have discovered that some animals have contracted corona. So far as we know, no fish have contracted corona. They exist in a different world, in a different existence. This works with everything you explained. Hashem could have fashioned the miracle anyway. He could have had the Jews walk or swim through the actual water like a fish. He didn't. He wanted them to walk on dry land in the midst of the sea with walls of water on either side. I guess there's a significance to this. We didn't actually go through the wet water. We walked through dry land in the midst of the water. The water pulled back. In other words, the water was transformed into dry land, which means Almadis Gassia was transformed into Almadis Galia. And that's the point of this mimer. Very well said. You say that if I'm not connected and attached, I can't really be me because I'm only a half neshama. So if I make believe I'm not attached, I'm not really true to myself. Is that the idea of machzus hashekel? Yes, that's the idea of machzus hashekel. Machzus hashekel means, right, that we are really one. And therefore, if I give a whole shekel, meaning I make believe that I'm not attached, I'm actually not giving a whole shekel. I'm giving a half a shekel. 
because I'm separated from you. But if I give a half a shekel, that means you're giving the other half shekel. In other words, I recognize that I'm attached. Then I'm giving a whole shekel because my eye is part of you. And together we're giving a whole shekel. This I heard from the Rebbe and his last Fabreng in Shabbos Vayakal Tovshinun Beis. Very Gishmak of art. The Rebbe asked, why do you give a half a shekel? All karbonas should be whole, not half. The answer is, he said, because I am a half of you and you're a half of me. So when I give a half and you give a half, we're giving together one shekel because I am you and you are me. But if I give a whole shekel, which means I make believe I'm not attached, then actually I am not, I am separated, I'm fragmented from myself. I'm not giving a whole shekel. I'm only giving a half shekel because part of me is not involved. Part of me is not giving the shekel. So that's why we give a half, because together, you and I, we give one. Now, so this person says like this. On the other hand, you say to be connected and attached, you have to be completely yourself. To be completely yourself, you have to be connected. Only when both halves are half together, they can create the completion. All of creation seems to be unified, then split and differentiated, and the job is to reunify and reattach those separate parts. Same is about all the sparks. Hashem took the unified puzzle of his world, broke up the pieces, and left it to us to put it back together. And therefore, if I'm not connected and attached, I can't truly be me because I'm only a half neshama, but to be connected and attached, I must first truly and completely be my half. When both halves are first their true and complete half, can they together recreate the completion whole the way they were before they were split, just like the sea? That's why Adam and Chava were one. Very, very well said. Bittel can be pronounced several ways. Someone pointed out, pointed out to Rabbi Shay's tab that one pronunciation can be be a tool, be tool, be a tool, be a tool in Hashem's hands, like Avram being a chariot. Bitul is be a tool. I like that. I like that. Be a tool. Let God flow through you. It's like the Maggit taught about a shoifer, you know. The Maggit says that we blow shoifer and Rosh Hashanah because Hashem blows the soul of life into Adam and He blows the soul of life into the whole world. And we have to realize I'm like the shoifer, I'm the conduit, the tool through which Hashem blows all of His energy in. You just be the shoifer. Harem ka shoifer kailecha. The word bottle literally is the idea of like, you know, we have in halacha, bittel, bittel b'shishim, etc. Nullified, right? Nullified. I know it's hard to say goodbye. Okay, somebody asks a question. The hidden world of the, hidden world of the sea was revealed by Kriyas Yamsuf. The hidden supernal worlds were revealed as Hashem gave the Ten Commandments. Okay, tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning, Bezer Hashem will have the class, 7.30 a.m. I wish you all a happy to be Shvat. Remember those fruits and a beautiful day. And welcome, special welcome to Woodridge. Repinchas Krieger from Yerushalayim. You remember Repinchas? He wants to know, does the Balatanya mean that the Bnei Yisrael went into the Yamsuf and at some point turned around and went out the same side they went in? Yeah, it's a Toysvis. Toysvis, take, take a look. Toysvis, Mesechta Erkin, I believe Daf Tesvav. That's where I think it is. Toysvis Erkin, 
Take, take out a Gemara Erkin. I think it's Daf Tesvavam at Beis. Toysvis says this. I'm sorry, Tesvavam at Aleph. Toysvis writes that the Jewish people, they did not go through the sea from one side to the other side. The same side that they went in, they made a semicircle and they went back up here. They go in like this and they don't go through to the other side of the sea and come out. Rather, they make a turn and they come out the same way. They come out from the same side of the sea that they descended into the sea. Rashi says it. I don't think Rashi says it, but Toysvah says this in Gemara Erkin, Daftesvav Amaralov. So the Balatanya proves from this that you have to say that Kriyas Yamsuf had some independent objective and purpose. Take take a look, it's in Toysvah. I don't remember it in Rashi. Yeah, beautiful. There's a sefer called Savas Harivosh, which has uh, short lines, statements, ideas, insights of the Balshamtiv. So over there he says. That because it says, the divine energy runs and returns. It ascends and descends. So therefore, he says, even the greatest tzaddikim who are in touch with that energy, they have these dual motions in life. Ratzoy, which is a yearning and longing and avoida, and then there's the shuv returning. He says, at the surface, it just looks like a form of relaxation that can maybe be perceived as idle, but really, it's the preparation for the next Ratzai. Like you're saying, I was sharpening the saw in order to be able to cut down more wood. Hatzloch My love and blessings. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.